0: Hello, and welcome to the Bankers Podcast Series, Banking Under Pressure, exploring how the financial services industry is coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Joy McKnight, managing editor of the Banker. And my guest this week is Anders Record, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Payments and Emphasis, an IT services company. Anders, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Hey Joy, thank you for for having me. It's nice to nice to speak with you again. Last time we connected in London, it was uh, clearly a different world.
0: Um, But thanks so much for joining the podcast series. I I recently read your blog um, that you posted, which is all around the global supply chain and supply chain finance. So I thought it would be interesting if we could sort of dive deeper into that um, and get your viewpoint on that. Um, So, you know, how would you say that the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the fault lines in the global supply chain?
1: It's a, it's a great question, and uh, we, we really have seen the pandemic cause uh, major disruption across pretty much every industry, right? And it's really exposed to your point, uh, the weak links in every supply chain, whether that's in the physical movement of goods or the information flows or the payments and financing uh, across different uh, supply chains. Take, for example, the unexpected surges in demand for things like medical supplies. And the amount of pressure that that placed on liquidity for suppliers in those industries that were trying to scale up manufacturing to meet that growth in demand, or other industries like, uh, for instance, restaurants or tourism, and look at the slowdown. Uh, those supply chains went idle uh, pretty much overnight, and and that had major implications to cash flow. Uh, and and in addition, I'd say that um, many firms have had to change their sources of supply overnight. Right, so many didn't realize that they had, or many didn't have backup plans. And it turned it to be a bit of a logistical nightmare for some uh, because how would you onboard and verify new suppliers in a new region uh, where you weren't buying from before because the particular city where you were buying from is in lockdown. Many companies in fact, uh, hadn't even mapped their entire supply chain as as clearly and as transparently as they would have liked. And doing all this with the backdrop of having to enable remote workers, deal with health issues for millions of employees, it's really created a, a whole new meaning to the concept of supply chain resilience.
0: Okay, um, and obviously these are, this has also presented quite a challenge to banks as well and other financial services uh, or financial institutions. You know. What are their challenges? What did they need to contend with? And then also how are they adapting to this new world?
1: Yeah. as we speak with our, with our banking clients, we obviously we work with banks uh, all over the world, and the consistent uh, th- the, the themes are fairly consistent. I'd say first of all, there's been a, a very steep increase in the need for liquidity. So while the global trade flows, the volumes of trade are, have gone down, the need for liquidity is actually going up. And more importantly, the need for very quick turnaround times. So banks are having to to really rethink the way they underwrite, the way they process applications, which in itself is difficult, right? Uh, But it becomes even more complicated when um, their clients and overall industries that they service can deteriorate with the blink of an eye. Uh, If you think of the oil and gas supply chain, for instance, uh, many companies in that sector were either downgraded or their rating outlooks were revised uh, downwards. And given that oil and gas is such a capital intensive industry, those deterioration of uh, credit quality of clients or companies has had major impacts on the bank's ability to lend, but more importantly, their ability to make decisions and lend quickly. Uh, There's also been increases in cost of funds that have made it harder for the banks to meet the return on capital thresholds. Uh, And all of this while having to move away from fairly paper-based processes you know in many cases financing commercial financing still runs on wet signatures and paper and they the banks have had to move to digital workflows digital only um, documents that their employees can process from home but that in itself creates other forms of risks uh, with regards to cybersecurity, with regards to uh, data privacy and so, digital transformation as a whole, and this is what we what we hear with every single one of our banking clients, it's become an imperative. Initiatives that they had planned for maybe two to three years out are having to happen today. And we've seen a lot of activity. We've actually been extremely busy uh, with banking, digital transformation. And I'd say we're working in more transformation programs than ever with banks all around the world. Um, we actually just last week we announced a, a multi-year collaboration with a, a bank in, in the UK with RBS to help them accelerate time to market for new products because they they recognize they've always been strong proponents and strong adopters of next-gen technology, but the pandemic has only accelerated it even further. And they recognize that the ability to deploy lending products in the market quickly is uh, increasingly important more than more than it was ever.
0: Okay, my next question really gets to the nub of the blog that you published recently, which is how do you think that traditional supply chain finance arrangements really need to be rethought?
1: Yeah, that's a, a fascinating topic and, uh, and a great question because truly supply chain finance today, even when you look at the most advanced programs, right? If we take a step back and, and look at what supply chain finance really does is it, it takes a large client, a large corporate and it leverages the credit risk of that corporate to offer early payments and financing to that corporate's suppliers, right? But even today, some of the largest programs in in the world are uh, still very narrow. Uh, I was actually speaking a few days ago with the chief procurement officer at a, at a large uh, company and, and his program, his supply chain finance program is quote unquote best in class for the industry. And yet it only addresses 10% of the supplier base. This means that 90% of that company's suppliers, which is thousands and thousands of suppliers, typically smaller suppliers are alienated. They are, they're unable to access financing. And in many cases, those suppliers are the weakest link in in the Mm. supply chain. Right. And so in the past it'd been sort of okay to, uh, cherry pick suppliers. It was okay to uh, identify the top, hundred suppliers that the bank would go on board but particularly post-covid uh, this this won't fly anymore cfos are really looking at resilience across the entirety of the supply chain and uh, making sure that every supplier gets the same type of financial assistance so the question is back back to to your question around how the programs need to be rethought the question is really how do you go from 10 percent adoption to 90 or 95 percent adoption and it's a real rethink of the model uh, and we we think I personally uh, believe and as we as we work with our clients, we we think about a few principles that are important. Number one, design programs for the entirety of the supply chain. So not just supplier financing or individual suppliers, but the entirety supply chain. Imagine a, a retail brand that buys clothing from a manufacturer who themselves buy from another local importer, who themselves buy from a producer somewhere in Bangladesh. How do you look at the totality of that supply chain, as opposed to just individual suppliers? Number two, uh, think about how to capitalize on network effects. So if you compare this to how Uber or Spotify, or even recently, uh, companies like Shopify, were able to massively scale uh, so quickly, it's as a result of uh, network effects. So you need to create distribution and incentive structures that drive suppliers, not just to participate in the program and access financing, but are incentivized to offer and drive adoption from their own downstream supply chains and and invite them and incentivize them to participate as well. Number three, uh, which is I think probably the most important one, is to play a higher order role in uh, the concept of supply chain financing. So move away from just thinking about deploying liquidity to help businesses build resilience and transparency and really take uh, the lead and lean in as a, as a financial institution in helping clients build resilience in their supply chains, not just finance their suppliers. And number four is all around digitization. You can't do the the other three things without really digitizing from the core, and that means you know there's been a lot of work uh, around putting I call it putting lipstick on the pig, right? Uh, a website up for supplier onboarding or you go from phone calls to suppliers, to sending emails, Mm. uh, that kind of stuff. But becoming a digital native supply chain financier really means rethinking everything from how the banks run KYC, to building marketplaces around their solutions, to even becoming natively embedded, like becoming buttons inside their clients procure to pay systems and flows versus just showing up as an add-on product that needs to be implemented on the side. So there's a a big, a big space for innovation and there's many ways in which uh in which we're helping our our clients sort of rethink the way they drive uh supply chain finance programs and how they create their programs for the future
0: so do you think that that there is a role for technology such as blockchain which you know there was a big buzz around it for a while then it sort of dropped off but now there seems to be a use case do you think that blockchain could be applied to create this new model (laughs)
1: Uh, Certainly, supply chains are, at at the core, they're complex ecosystems, right? They're they're a multi-party equation. You've got buyers, importers, exporters, manufacturers, logistics providers, custom agents, you name it, right? And blockchain networks are are truly demonstrating that these parties can start to connect to a common ledger and begin to share information more seamlessly and instantly. Now, will blockchain be the end-all be-all? for supply chain finance uh mm-hmm. no they but it but we believe i believe it will be a, an important uh component in solutions for the future and you, to your point you're starting to see this already today um it's being used to simplify you know lengthy processes like validating invoices or approving trade documents if you look at marco polo or contour uh, as consortia where banks are coming together publishing information and allowing the parties that need to review and approve it do that digitally and instantly versus having to ship uh, or fax uh, pieces of paper back and forth. But increasingly, uh, what, what I see happening is these networks are going to be the foundation on top of which new generation financial solutions can be built. So just imagine for a second a world where a manufacturing facility is uh, publishing the status of its production to the blockchain, right, to a, to a particular blockchain network. And the bank is instantly notified and being able to release working capital in real time as the production process advances. These are the kinds of things that you know we, we were debating as potential use cases uh, a year or so ago with our clients and now we're, we're actually turning mm-hmm. them into proofs of concept. Um, we are, we're starting to see uh, appetite and demand to innovate in, in this type of uh, space and we, we actually as a result of that we just launched a program, uh, we call it Alta, And the focus of the program is really to bring together uh, a broad range of participants, be it software platforms, blockchain platforms, different enterprises, banks, uh, academia, uh, even governments, to to really think about ways in which blockchain and other disruptive technologies, because it's not just blockchain, can help some of these higher order problems. And the approach we're taking is is a use case based approach, but also a, a practical approach to say, where is there a problem? and can we actually go build a solution and a technology stack to go solve that problem. So bottom line to your to your question Joy, certainly blockchain will start to pick up once again and uh, it'll be the foundation for many new sets of uh, financial services products.
0: And you also touched on a little bit there which is the sort of the technologies that sit alongside the blockchain or sit on the blockchain such as like tokenization or smart contracts. You know, again, do you think that these will play a, a bigger role in the future of the supply chain? Uh,
1: yes, uh, most definitely yes. And, and I think that's where the exponential value lies. Uh, we do need to take uh, things with a grain of salt because as I was explaining earlier, there's uh, a significant amount of just digital transformation that banks are still undergoing in their own core. So when you think about blockchain or you think about tokenization, uh, there are certain, in order to capitalize on the benefits of these technologies and these network-based approaches, uh, there's, there's some work that still needs to be done and that banks are doing to uplift their own uh, internal infrastructure and the way they run their own trade systems. But if you take tokenization as, a, as an example, I, I think that's where the exponential value lies. Uh, because if you can tokenize the underlying trade assets, Uh, you can actually enable transferability of those assets. And that's huge, right? Uh, So think of a manufacturer. And and a manufacturer has received, and I I touched on this in the the article, they've received an invoice from one of its suppliers. And if they were engaged in a traditional uh, program with their supplier, they'd get paid for that invoice in 60 or 90 days. And a normal supply chain finance program would allow that supplier to maybe get paid earlier, right, in exchange for a discount but that's the end of it. But if you can tokenize Mm -hmm. the asset, if you can tokenize Mm -hmm. the invoice, that supplier can in fact take that same asset, which Mm -hmm. is now a token and it represents a payment that will happen from their client in 60 days and use it as a means for payment to their own downstream supply chain. And so in doing so, they can provide their own downstream suppliers with access to competitive financing that those suppliers would have never had in a traditional world. And because these tokens are, digital, they're borderless. Uh, the, the value can just flow much more seamlessly from one supplier to another, from one geography to another, in one from one currency to another. And it can reach, it, it allows the financing and the liquidity to reach suppliers that have historically been alienated from um, optimized working capital. So definitely, this is uh, extremely valuable for supply chains. And, it, and it's also extremely valuable for banks as they start to embrace uh, this network paradigm of thinking of entire supply chains as opposed to individual suppliers, because it allows them to capitalize on technology to amplify their programs. So instead of onboarding 10% of suppliers, you onboard 90 And instead of just onboarding the first line of suppliers, you can on- onboard second, third, fourth level suppliers that are deeper in the supply chain. It also allows the banks to optimize consumption and um, increase visibility or optimize working capital uh, capital consumption and increase visibility into their uh, entire supply chain. So I'd say that as the world continues to change and as uh, new surprises uh, are around the corner, technologies like blockchain and like tokenization are certainly going to prove extremely valuable. But once again, I want to emphasize this won't happen overnight and there is still quite a lot of transformation and digitization that, that the banks are having to go through. So the big question is how do you do both things simultaneously? How do you uplift your core while staying very connected and, and, and capitalizing on the emerging technologies that are out there?
0: Excellent. Well, that's very interesting. I think there is some hope out there for that long tail of suppliers um, and the banks can actually fulfill that role in helping them survive. Well, thank you so much for your insights and thanks to our audience for listening. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify and Ecast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcast.